What does it mean, Messiah Matters? It means apart from him, we can do nothing. It means he is the way, the truth, and the life. Yeshua is the only way of salvation. He is everything. We have to have the Tanakh to know the Messiah. But we have to have the Messiah to know the Tanakh. Without Messiah, we have nothing. Basically, it's all about the Messiah. Wednesday, February 21st, 2018. This is Messiah Matters number 207. A grown man broadcasting from his parents' house. My name is Caleb Hegg. And with the style that keeps him looking like a 12-year-old boy, Rob Van Hoff. What up, Rob? How's it going, man? Hey, I'd look even younger if I shaved this How's it going, buddy? Nice shirt. Going well. Hey, you too, man. For those who can't see us, for those out in Radio Land, Rob and I are both wearing Torah Resource Institute Torah Resource Institute shirts. Flat out. Is this um, navy? What is this? Yeah, Something it's blue. it's deep blue, deep blue. We're twinsies. Okay. Um. So welcome. I'm drinking out of a YeshuaShirts.com mug. What are you doing? Oh. Torah Resource Flat out. There it is. All right. Hey, everyone in the. Uh, yeah, it is freezing over here. Uh, everyone in the chat room, let us know if the levels are too low, too high. I've, I've done some work with my mic. I'm actually thinking about switching mics. I've had some interesting emails this, this past week. I had somebody who asked uh, about how we do this video cast, how we, how we broadcast the video and the audio and those kind of things. Um, and obviously our platform, our main platform is YouTube, which is a free platform. So I, you know, I have considered putting together a video for people to uh, show them essentially how we how we produce this show. Uh, it's not quite as easy or cheap as people might think. Um, Behind the scenes, <laughs> Rob and Caleb. Right. Yeah. Well, but you know what? Rob made an interesting point. I think one of the more. Uh, I don't know. One of the more uh, difficult things about this show. Sorry, I just took my limiter off. There we go. One of the uh, more difficult things about this show is the content. Coming up with good content that is good to li- you know, not only good to listen to, easy to listen to. It re- it reminds me. Okay, when I was in high school and I wanted to be a rock star, right? I had a little four track recorder. It used an old cassette, and you'd put it in, and you could do four tracks. And then you could mix it down into a stereo mix, right? Right. And then then you got the computers, and now you've got all this, you know, studio quality, multi-track, you know, music editing software, recording and editing and production software that someone can get at home. So you someone can buy all that stuff and still like 
okay, now I got to write a song. You know know what? You know what it's like, though? Even that stuff. Okay, I I went to editing school. I went to video editing school. Right. I mean, I learned how to how to edit video. And one of the uh, difficult things that I still deal with is trying to I, I don't know how to run all this stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, there's just a lot that goes into it. The hardest part is the setup, though. Setting this whole thing up has been, it took us years. It took us like three years to figure out. Finally, we did it. So we'll have to pass on the knowledge to other people now. See what uh, people can come up with. Okay, let's uh, let's get to it. Enough chit-chat. First of all, we should tell you that uh, Messiah Matters is brought to you, of course, by TorahResource.com. Torah Resource is a wonderful place. Uh, and the goal of Tor Resource is to, uh, well, it, I'll give you the I'll give you the tagline. One of the taglines we have several, but one of the taglines is Tor Resource exists to provide biblically based education for disciples of Yeshua. That is the goal, and that's what we try to do. I uh, I don't know if people realize this, but we have a whole ton of free stuff, and uh, yeah, we keep producing more and more free stuff. Uh, here's one of the things that we're going to do. Coming up here and uh, probably start, I think it's starting on the 1st of March. I'm going to be doing a live broadcast by myself uh, titled, What Really Happened in Egypt? Now, every year, this is becoming a tradition. This is the second year that we've done it. Last year, Michael Gonzalez and I uh, did a live broadcast, which we're going to be re-releasing this year as well on uh, some of the traditions that surround uh, Passover and uh, how to celebrate Passover. Um, this year, I'm going to be doing a series called What Really Happened in Egypt. I'm going to be looking at the 10 plagues and uh, kind of seeing what the Egyptians must have thought about these 10 plagues and uh, the implications that these 10 plagues brought. Uh, it really, I've, I've already taught it once. It's, it's uh, quite a, a fascinating uh, study, and I've had a lot of fun teaching it. And so I think that we'll, some people will be able to glean a lot from it. Uh, and we're going to broadcast that live on, on the Torah Resource Facebook page. And we're also going to broadcast it live on the Messiah Matters page. So you'll be able to, to see it. It's going to be at 2 o'clock Thursdays uh, for, I think, four weeks starting March 1st. So another free resource that, uh, that is provided by Torah Resource. So I encourage you to go to Torah Resource and check it all out. And you can uh, always give us a call. Actually, before I, I'm sorry, before I do that, I'm getting ahead of myself. Uh, Torah Resource is also brought to you, or Torah Resource, well, that's true too. Messiah Matters is brought to you also by uh, the generous support of our listeners. If you enjoy this show, I would encourage you to uh, help keep it going. You can do that by going to TorahResource.com, click the donate button, and then if you are donating to help this show, then we would encourage you to leave a message of that, uh, of that sort telling us so because we love to hear from you guys other ways that you can get a hold of us you can uh, leave comments and ask questions 253-465-3205 i'll give it to you again it's 253-465-3205 it is a comment line all you hear is a message machine and so you don't have to actually talk about us or talk to us rather you can uh, tell us how much you love us hate us uh, why you think we're morons, all sorts of stuff like that. And then uh, you can send us emails, chegg at torahresource.com, C-H-E-G-G at torahresource.com. Okay, now that that's all over, oh, uh, the, the last thing I want to say uh, in regards to all that is if you don't uh, receive our show notes, you certainly should. And you can do that by going to torahresource.com, hover over TR Radio, go down to Messiah Matters. Once you click on that, 
you'll be in our section. And on the right-hand side, you can sign up for show notes. And right now, I think we have about 225 people who receive our show notes. Not bad, huh? Woot, woot. Woot, woot. Okay, so uh, I'm supposed to be uh, talking about a book this week, right? Yeah, it's your week, man. I'm not going to lie to you. I totally forgot. Um, but... Well, talk amongst yourselves. What what do you, <laughs> what have you been up to? What are you reading? So la- what have I? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know the book that I okay. I'll, I'll give you a book. Here, here you Just, go. Just you, you don't have to have it. No, maybe. this is this is okay. This is actually this. There's a reason it's right behind me. I love this book. I think it's a great book. I still I'm still in the middle of it. For those who listen to this show on a regular basis, you know that I am a church history. Uh, lover, I love to listen uh, to podcasts about church history. I love to read about church history. And uh, this is certainly a book that uh, was first recommended to me by Ariel Berkowitz. Uh, it is a fantastic book. It's called In the Shadow of the Temple by Oscar Scarsani. Um, this book, I would say, is a bit more sympathetic to the... Uh, parting of the ways and, and the way that uh, Judaism and Christianity coexisted for the first, you know, 100 years or so uh, after, you know, and maybe 70 years or so after the 80 years after the temple fell. Um, and so I, I highly recommend this book, even if you don't buy it. It's a buy or a borrow, but not a bag. It's definitely not a bag. I would say, uh, I would say it's probably a buy, but uh, definitely worth a borrow. Definitely borrow this book from a library or something like that. Read through it. Glean from it. It's excellent. It's an easy read, in my opinion. Uh, it's one of those kind of reads where I can half lay down and still not fall asleep. Man, the back of that cover looks pretty heavily credentialed there. Uh, what are some of the names? Craig Evans. Oh, wow. Cool. I. Howard Marshall. Uh, Howard Marshall. I. Howard Marshall did a, a book on... Uh, uh, the Lord's Supper, uh, Everett Ferguson, Donald Hagner, and Marcus Bachmuel, Oxford University. Um, yeah, I, I once again, I think this is this is probably my second favorite church history book that I've I've ever read. It's really good. So cool. It, anyway, uh, I hope everyone, buy or borrow. Bo- yeah, I would say definitely uh, borrow for sure. Uh, all right, let's move on. Hey, nice save there, Caleb. Thank you. I do what I can. Okay, so uh, let's get right to it. We're going to be, this week, we're going to take a little bit of a detour from where we've been in the recent weeks. As those who listen on a regular basis know, this is the seventh show since we've changed formats, changed names, and uh, now we are, uh, we're, we've been looking at the messianic expectation. We, we've looked at that from several different points of view. Right. We've looked at it from just the people in Israel, maybe Greco-Roman to more the uh, the Jewish people in Israel, Samaritans kind of. We've looked at uh, the Pharisees expectation. We've looked at even the Messianic expectation of Yeshua himself and what he knew he came to do, those kind of those kind of things. And uh, we've got so last week we talked a little bit about the deity. And I, I put out, so there's two topics that keep getting really uh, a lot of attention that keep coming up. Those are communion 
and also uh, the deity of the Messiah. Now, I'm, I'm currently writing uh, a thesis or what could also possibly be seen as an extremely large paper um, on the Eucharist, on communion. Someone asked me to mention that the Eucharist is more of a Catholic term and that, uh, and that communion would probably be a better term to use. Well, I, I don't know about that. Uh, Eucharist is used in, in uh, many different denominations, including, I think they use Eucharist for Lutheranism, right? For Anglican, for um, Episcopalian, for Catholic. So Eucharist is a, uh, is a broad term. Most of the time, when when I think Eucharist, I, I will admit that uh, transubstantiation is usually something that needs to be uh, discussed if somebody is is uh, keeping the Eucharist. And what I mean by transubstantiation is that the that uh, Christ's body and blood is actually physically present in the in the communion itself. Uh, the other uh, the other uh, big topic is, and I can't believe this. This is so shocking to me. Um, is the idea that Yeshua is not yod heh There's also this teaching out there that uh, yod heh is a family name. That yeah. For those who think that, that yod heh is a family name, can I just tell you, that's called polytheism. That means a belief in multiple gods. Now, I know that there are teachers out there who say, no, this isn't polytheism. That's what polytheism is. I just don't understand how you can think that uh, that that Vav is a family name. That that is polytheism. Um, anyway, okay, let's go to so we're all of that to say, and I do apologize for the long-winded introduction to all this. All that to say that we are going to look at some messages that we got, and we're going to open up the Messiah Matters mailbag. Now, should we use the same mail uh, the mail song that we used in? Uh, well, and I guess until we have a new one, uh, maybe we should just... Could there yeah, even yeah. ever be another one? <laughs> I don't know. Okay, well... No, no we got to keep we gotta keep good things that, uh, yeah. Okay, well, here's our, uh, here's our, our true, <laughs> true and firm mail time song until somebody sends me a new one. Mail time! Mail time! Mail time! Mail time! Easy Death Gaming. Can these guys in the video read the comments? Yes, we can. <laughs> it's an interesting name. Uh, administrators in the chat room, be on guard. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's right. We got people in the chat room who can uh, block other people. Okay, anyway, let's keep going. Um, so, uh, I'm sorry. I'm discombobulated here. I need to. I have two computers in front of me. Okay, question. Now this goes. We'll get into the deity and uh, that topic here in a few seconds. First, let's let's easy let, let's answer a, a rather easy question. This came in the form of an email, and I don't know if it was meant to be made public, so I'm not going to mention the person's name. Is there anything in the Hebrew shav, translated as vain in Exodus 27, with its root being shua, and being used in the pronunciation Yeshua or Yahshua? literally bringing his name to naught that we should be concerned about. 
The answer for me is absolutely not. Uh, just because a word sounds like, and I, you're the Hebrew teacher and the Greek exegete, so I'll have you answer this in more depth. Mm-hmm. Let me just give a couple of my my ideas, and then I'll, then okay. you can take it from there. First of okay. all, just because a, a word sounds the same or has the same sound in it, this is not. The, it doesn't mean that they're connected. This, I mean, this is a, a ridiculous uh, way to think about language. It doesn't work in English. It doesn't work in. Uh, it, it certainly doesn't work in Greek, and it doesn't work in Hebrew either. Just because something sounds the same, and uh, the, when I emailed this person back, the uh, the response that I or the the example that I gave was, when we say mom, we don't think that uh, it's bad because the word om, o m, is a part of mom, right? right. Om is a, uh, a sacred sound in the Hindu language and used in worship. So when I, we don't say, no, you can't use the word mom because om is in it. They're totally not related. They're totally not connected. Um, just because you have a sound doesn't mean – uh, to, to be honest with you, it, I don't know who's teaching this, but whoever is, it, it surprises me that people fall into this idea. Um, you know, it, it, it seems like a discernment issue to me. How, language has never worked like this, has it? Has, has language ever worked like this? I don't think so. Well, Rob, what are well, you thinking? One danger is that, is that it's, you know, there's the Hebrew word picture idea, which is obviously not uh, a valid interpretive uh, method. But um, we need to remember that the way the letters are transliterated, for example, for those of us who speak English, right, when we're learning Hebrew, we need to see like a letter yod, and we say, they say, okay, it's like yeah, it's like why, right? Or you see the shin, and and you say, well, we don't have a letter like that in he in English, so we have to we do sh, right? Or we use two letters so that we get the phoneme of the shin, and so on. And and we usually learn um, in in our, today that the aleph and the ayin are silent letters. But they didn't always necessarily that, used to be, right? That they were silent or they that they are indistinguishable. And this is not recent. You know, even um, in the Middle Ages, there were some rabbinic scholars that thought that the Aleph and the Ayan uh, were both silent letters so that they were undifferentiable. Um, but we know now that this is not true because we are aware of larger dialects of Hebrew, specifically Hebrew from uh, like Yemenite, uh, 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 what we call Mizrahi. So Hebrew speakers that uh, whose communities were under uh, areas where Muslims were in charge. So the Arabic was the larger language. And then you have communities of Jews speaking Hebrew underneath this larger umbrella of Arabic speakers. Well, Arabic and, and Hebrew are both Semitic languages. They share a lot of phonemes. And the ayin was preserved and the aleph as distinct in those communities, whereas in the Ashkenaz, you know, European uh, Jewish communities trying to preserve Hebrew, they lost the distinction between aleph and ayin. Right. And so it's the European version that usually gets uh, kind of imported into American English, not the the Yemenite Hebrew. And even today, and we've mentioned this before, in the state of Israel— there are two different pronunciation, strong pronunciation traditions, and um, which one do you use? They they kind of accent and make sounds differently. Like a chet can sound different, an ayin can sound different. Anyway, why is this important? 
Well, because it bears on the question from Exodus 27, because 20 verse 7, this word shin vav aleph, which means vain, right? Don't take the Lord's name in vain, and imagines <laughs> that because the aleph is silent, that somehow it's inconsequential, and that the ayin of the word like for salvation, Yeshua, uh, or the names, Yehoshua, um, how many other uh, names do we, Hosea, right, that all are built on the Shin Vav Ayan root, and then that goes all the way into the first century with the name Yeshua, the name of our Savior, uh, the Messiah, uh, are all built on a root that ends in an Ayan, not an Aleph. And so the, the question imagines that all those people who use <laughs> in the in the Tanakh whose name and even the nouns and the verbs to save that somehow these are related to this word it uh, with ends with the Aleph vain is is um, yeah that there's absolutely no valid connection between those it's based on a a short-sighted uh, conception uh, and conclusions about the Hebrew language um, that really, if, if what's scary about this question, not that this person is promoting this idea, but if someone is allowed to take that and run with it, there's there's all sorts of damage that they could do. Right. Uh, that is, we need to really, really be guarding against. And so again, we we have to be patient in our learning. It's good that this person emailed and asked and they felt like they could trust us with an answer. I'm hoping that they'll take it to heart. But if anybody is teaching that, that somehow Yeshua is the name, is a vain name because in Exodus 20 verse 7, it has this Shin Vav Aleph, that is, that is just horrifically wrong and even evil, uh, I would say. I, yeah, I, well, it's almost like I can't even, it's, but you know what, Caleb, I, I don't know. It's like, there's things that it's like, I guess I shouldn't be surprised because, you know, once you think you hear it at all and then you hear something again, I, you know, I, I, we were talking, Rob and I were talking, uh, I don't know, a couple of days ago, I've started to wonder how much of the nonsense that goes on in the messianic circles that usually that usually come down against Yeshua as Messiah and or deity of Messiah. I wonder how much of it is actually anti-missionaries. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, putting this stuff out uh, and then teachers being on these sites, you know, for Chabad and uh, you know, other places or, you know, being on these sites and reading these things and, Oh, whoa. You know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe that there's none of that. I hope not, but, no, well, hey, Yeshua, Yeshua warned. He said that there, there's a parable where he says that, you know, the guy sows the seed, and then he, you know, when it comes to the harvest, he sees that, you know, there is a different, something other than what he sowed is there. Right. And the, and the workers come and say, well, what should we do? And he said, well, let it go for now. An enemy has done this. Wait you know, wait till the harvest and then we'll set, we'll, we'll separate it. So H Helen, can I jump in real quick? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, go, go, go keep, finish your, finish your, I, I'm sorry. Oh, I should... that, but the idea is if, why would Yeshua give us this parable unless right. that happens at times? 
where an enemy comes and scatters a bunch of seed and all of a sudden people are run with it because they, they lack right. discerning. And so it's good. It's important that the body Messiah is equipped with teachers and that's why God has arranged it this way. And people who, who learn to, to, uh, go and ask questions and not just, you know, not just swallow everything that they see on the internet. So Helen in the chat room asks, what is an anti-missionary? This is a great question because, um, we, you know, a lot of the time I assume that people know what we're talking about and, uh, perhaps they don't. So what is an anti-missionary? An anti-missionary is, is a non-believing, uh, well, uh, non-believing, uh, Jewish person, usually from a conservative to Orthodox to ultra Orthodox, uh, belief that, uh, takes it as their, instead of being a missionary to try to bring people in, well, I shouldn't even say that. Maybe it is a, a missionary to try to bring Jewish people away from Christianity. That's how it started, right? Tovia Singer was kind of one of the champions of the anti-missionary uh, movement. And basically what he did was he said, okay, let's go. Well, not just him. Uh, anti-missionaries in general said, how do we bring Jewish people out of the church and out of you know atheism, out of all these kind of things, and bring them into, but mainly the church, bring them out of the church and into traditional non-believing uh, in right. Jesus uh, Judaism. And so the way that they did this was that they came up with many arguments that Christians... They use, they use, they'll use like the New Testament, right? They'll use right. like Christian scripture and try to use that. And, and you know what? It's not just, they're, they're not only anti-missionary Jews, they're anti-missionary uh, uh, Muslims. Right. That, that will use, and you'll, I've encountered this numerous times, where they're trying to promote the Quran and they're trying to explain why, you know, why Christians misunderstand, you know, and that why, and there's an anti-deity of Yeshua message there that's really strong. Um, so the so, way, yeah, what the way that they do this is, is several fold. First of all, they'll say, well, you've been sold a bag of goods by the Christian church. You know, everything that they've said about the Tanakh and the prophecies of the, that's the old Testament and the old and the prophecies of the Messiah that they've totally misinterpreted that. That's not what the Hebrew says. They're reading their English Bibles. They don't know what they're talking about. Tovia Singer right. does this all the time, right? And then, then, then Tovia Singer's favorite thing to do is then to completely take out of context and and to not tell the whole story about what Here's he's the talking thing. about. Both, <laughs> both the Jewish anti missionaries and their anti missionary meaning they do they're not without ideology. Their their agenda is very much. Judaism, so authority of the rabbis, because right. they have the, because they're going to come to halakha as the way you should walk, or if they're Muslim, their agenda is the Quran is the the final perfect word of God revealed. Okay, both of those on a timeline are responses to the gospel, not they weren't already in place and then the gospel was given. They are responses to. The gospel. They're post. Both are literary. The, both the literary traditions of, of rabbinic Judaism and of Islam are post destruction of the temple. Post. I mean, way, way late, centuries after. And right. then with the case of Islam, you know, Islam is a response. Is kind of another echo that hits that is responding to Jews interacting with Christians. Uh, at another level. So, but 
chronologically, they're going to try to draw their audience to subsequent um, formulations of what truth is and try to get them away from the truth of the scriptures, which is uh, written in Jewish Greek in the first century. Right. Yeah, so there, there's a lot of, uh, especially among the rabbinic, uh, you know, the rabbinic anti-missionaries, basically what they'll do is they'll say, well, you know, no Jew in the first century would say this. Or, you know, uh, I mean, there's just a lot of uh, trying to put doubt into the texts of the apostolic scriptures. That's what. It, or we, we, know, we know this because we have it by oral tradition all the way right. back to Moses at Mount Sinai. It's right. like, oh, okay. Okay, let's get back to our notes here. I'm sorry. Where are we? <laughs> okay, Chuck writes in. Here's another question. Chuck says, doesn't God say I'm not a man in Deuteronomy? Now, this this has to do with, uh, I I'm, I'm, took a clip from last week's show. In numbers, I don't know about Deuteronomy, but. Yeah, so uh, in, in uh, last week's show, I took a clip, and I made the title, Yeshua is yod And then I posted that. I was shocked, to be honest with you. I was shocked how many people disagreed with that. It, it, just very interesting to see how many people disagree with that. So, um, anyway, uh, so this is a this is a great question. This is a great question. Um, doesn't God say He's not a man in the Torah? Well, you want to start. Rob, did he give a did he give a specific verse that he he did because it okay, I, th- I think he's he's talking numbers twenty three nineteen okay I think so so numbers twenty three nineteen okay so this lo ish el so the word here for God is l right right God is it says lo ish not an ish and then it it has a, a subsequent phrase vichazev that he would, and he would lie, right? And he would lie, literally. Uven Adam, or a, a son of man, v'yitnacham, that he would uh, repent. Okay, so now this is in a, uh, a larger uh, story. This is in Parashat uh, Balak, right, with Balaam. Um, so is it, what, what's the, what is the point of this verse? Yeah, okay. Oh, wait, hang on. Wait, wait. Before you go on, because this is a very important point. You know, this is what the point that keeps coming up when we talk about communion. It's not what did the church make of it later. It's not what did the synagogue make of it later, what theology has been formed out of it. It's what was the intent of the author. And this is true in the Torah. It's true in the, in the rest of the Tanakh, the Old Testament. And it's true in the Apostolic Scriptures, the New Testament, Right. What is right. the intent of the author? Okay, keep going. So uh, if we look here, what he continues on, he says, uh, has he said and will not do it? Has he spoken and not uphold it? And so remember, this is Balaam, Gentile prophet, concerning the command that Balak gave him to curse Israel. Right. But he's, saying, he's telling Balak, God can't curse Israel. He says, behold, I've received a command to bless. When he has blessed, I cannot revoke it. The Lord is with him, it says. The shout of a king is among them. Why? What's he talking about? He's talking about the Abrahamic blessing 
Right. When what is God back takes us back to God's promise to Abraham. I will bless you. I will make your name great, etc. I will bless. I, I will uh, uh, bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. You be a blessing. Right. That's the core core piece to the Abrahamic prom, prom, uh, promise. Not only that, and all the nations of the world will be blessed in you. So this is this amazing thing that the creator of the universe has chosen Abraham to be uh, a part of this whole salvation history wherein God's blessing is revealed to humanity and that it's that that Abraham's job and the job of his offspring are to be a blessing in the world and that those who try to come up against Abraham and his family his offspring and curse them God himself is going to curse those people. Abraham just has to keep being a light, keep being a blessing. This is all behind Yeshua saying, bless those who curse you, pray for those who, right, your enemies, etc. Is that you be a blessing, even if they're cursing you, because God will sort it out. Okay, in Numbers here, Balak is trying to get Balaam to curse Israel. And Balaam keeps saying, look, man. God instituted this blessing, and he's not a person, he's not like a man that will change his mind, that will bless Israel, and then, like, I can't do anything. He told me that, you know, I open my mouth and blessings come out. I can't curse it. I can't go against him. And so that's, but man, but the point here is that men are fickle. Men, a mere flesh and blood person, is not able to uphold their word in the same way that God does. God says, and God created the world and upholds the world, it says in Hebrews, that Yeshua upholds all things by the word of his power. Okay, this is, all Yeshua would have to do is withdraw his word and the whole universe would just, right, disappear. It would be, I don't even know what would happen. I mean, it, it's that he upholds by the word of his power. Okay, not, but I could, does that mean I can go create a world? Well, the Lurianic Kabbalists got into this kind of thing. Oh, we are like creators. You know, you speak and you create things and all this stuff, and you become a creator like God. Well, that's nonsense. Real, real dangerous doctrine there. The point of Numbers 2319 <laughs> is that God, when he, when he says, he does. He's not like, you know, in our three-year cycle, we're reading about vows this week, about that when God, when you make a vow or when you make an oath, God expects, I mean, you, God expects you to fulfill that oath and let, and then he gives all these, these situations that, that, uh, can help mediate that. And that's right. numbers chapter 30 is about that or 31. So one of the things that but, I, but back to, uh, are we going to are we done with 23 yet? Cause there's another verse we should go to, but, well, and that's actually where I wanted to go is, is the, okay. the uh, the other day Rob was, I was reading this email or this comment to, to Rob, and he brought up Exodus fifteen three. Go for it, Rob. It's you're the you're the one who brought oh, it up. So it says Adonai ish milchama Adonai shemo. The Lord is a man of war. <laughs> so wait a minute. If we're just going to go literal level, Numbers twenty three says lo ish el el is not a man. Exodus fifteen says Adonai ish. The Lord is a man. Not only is he a man, he's an ish milchama. He's a man of war. Right. So this, this, both these verses we can put next to each other and say, okay, well, what is, what is it saying here? Can I use Numbers 23 to say, oh, well, there's no such thing as incarnation because it says lo ish el. 
Or do I use Exodus 15 and say, well, there is possible, there must be something of incarnation because Adonai Ish Milchama. Or do these verses have anything to do with incarnation at all? Um, I think it, it, I would say these are more, these are both in the sense of poetry and they both have larger poetic contexts that need to be uh, taken into well, mind. Okay, so with that in mind, you know, one of the things that I continue to go back to is let's look in, in let's look in the in the Tanakh, in in the Torah, in the in the prophets. Okay, what do we see in the Torah itself? We continue to see Yod Hey Vav Hey showing up with human form, right? Jacob wrestles. Well, first, Abraham first is sitting in the tent, and guess what? Yod-Heh-Vav-Heh Yod shows up, right? The text specifically says that uh, that three men that come. somehow, yeah. yeah, yeah. Three men come, and one of them is called yod heh So we have yod heh in, in human form there. Then Jacob, he wrestles all night long with a man, and afterwards he's, he calls the place, oh man, I'm going to butcher it, but he, he says, for I have, I have certainly wrestled with yod heh with God, right? The 70 elders at Mount Sinai, they see yod heh and underneath his feet are like a sea of glass. It's like a sea of glass. Well, if yod heh can't take human form or never takes human form, then how does he have feet? Right? Mm-hmm. It, once we get to Isaiah, we see uh, we see this interaction between you know even in the Psalms we see my Lord uh, you know uh, I I said to my Lord and then we have uh, you know we have uh, Isaiah telling us that Emmanuel will be with us God with us you know this ties in a little bit to uh, another question that we got concerning do we see what would be considered Trinity doctrine within the within the Torah or within the uh, Tanakh, within the Old Testament? Well, this question, you know, I know. Look, I I know that the word Trinity is a is a uh, a trigger word for a lot, a lot of believers, right? Especially in the Messianic and Hebrew roots movement within Christianity, people don't. There's not a lot of people who are going to reject this. Um, but within the Hebrew roots and the Messianic movement. A lot of people are questioning the the doctrine of the Trinity, and the reason why is that we have teachers coming out saying, "Oh, the Trinity is is a late invention of the Church. It doesn't come around until the time of Tertullian, and these kind of things." Well, okay, the word Trinity that's true. It's not in the Bible, and uh, the word Trinity didn't come around until about Tertullian's time. I think that he was the first to use it. There might have been one person before him that that used the word Trinity. So, should we not use that word? Well. Guess what? The word Bible isn't in the Bible either, right? But we tend to use the word Bible a lot. The point is, is that the doctrine of the Trinity did not just all of a sudden somebody said, hey, let's just explain it from a Greek mindset like this. That's not how it came about. Uh, there was a lot of debate over uh, over how God has revealed himself within the Bible. Mm. You know, the idea of personal pronouns for the Holy Spirit and so I talked to my father the other day, and uh, I was I was talking about this about the idea of what people may call Trinitarian doctrine, the multiplicity of God within the Tanakh, and uh, how we see that. Now, for those who who uh, might not 
might not understand what I'm talking about. Okay, the verses that I've already talked about, which would be uh, Abraham speaking with Yodhevavhe in a human form, um, and uh, you know the seventy elders seeing uh, seeing the God of Israel, and underneath his feet was like glass. These things we see Yodhevavhe in a human form. I believe this is a pre-incarnate Yeshua. That is, Yeshua is interacting with his with people, right? Even in the garden, Yodhevavhe walks with them, right? God walks with them in the garden. Anyway, um, so we see Yeshua there. We see the Holy Spirit all over the place. Pillar of fire by night, pillar of smoke by day, burning bush, right? The Ruach HaKodesh, or the Holy Spirit that hovers over the water in, uh, during creation. It's constant. The, uh, the cloud that engulfs the uh, Mount Sinai. All these things, right? And of course, we see the Father. And so I asked my, my dad, do, do we see the Father enter this world at all? You know, I, I, this may be a heretical question, but do we see Yodhevave, the Father, enter this world, or is he outside of the world and the Holy Spirit and Yeshua are his, you know, are what are used by God to interact with this world? And my dad gave a, a very, very good, good answer. He said, you cannot separate one from the other. Where we see the Holy Spirit, we see the Father. Where we see the Holy Spirit, we see Yeshua. When the, you know, is Yeshua omnipresent right now? The answer is yes, he's omnipresent through the Spirit. You can't separate them. When we see, you know, when we see Yeshua in the, in the apostolic scriptures in the New Testament, we are seeing the Father. We're seeing the Father on earth. And as soon as we try to separate these, as soon as we try to say that, you know, oh, well, now granted, the son is not the father. The father is not the son. And well, so there was so a forth. separation. The separation is at the, the suffering and death of Yeshua. Absolutely. But that's where that's it's it. I, I agree. The father did. I don't believe but subsequent pa- to the passionism. But there's never we're never going back in there. We're never going. You know. There's never again in history. In eternity future where. The son will be separate from the father. And this is actually, this will actually touch on another uh, another question that we got. Um, this person says, I agree that Yeshua is yod heh Something that I don't understand is why Yeshua talks to himself if he is God. This, you know, the idea of patripassionism, for those who don't know what that, that large word is, it's a, a theological word meaning that the father uh, suffered in the passion. In other words, if 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 God the Father actually died on the cross, then everything would cease to exist, right? He couldn't really die. So how did God really die? But at the same time, the world continued to exist, and this is where uh, the the uh, doctrine of the Trinity really starts to take some interesting turns for good reason, right? The answer is is that Yeshua the Son gave up all of his uh, glory and his attributes to be able to come in the form of a creature from the dirt. I love Spur- uh, R.C. Sprawl's uh, depiction of, of humankind, right? This, this creature from the dirt that spits in the face of God and the son dethrones himself, gives up his glory, gives up everything, gives up his ability to, uh, to even recognize... At, he needed diapers as a baby, right? I mean, obviously they didn't have anyway, but you understand what I'm saying. He they put him in swaddling clothes. He needed a mother. He needed all these. He gave up. He just became. He lowered himself so much for us. And 
in that he uh, relied not only on his parents, but he relied on the father. He showed us how to live a perfect life. And that includes prayer. Prayer is a command, right? And not only that, but until he was glorified, he did. He still did not have all of the, you know, he, he wasn't omnipresent as, uh, you know, in, in a body, even though the spirit is his spirit and the spirit is omnipresent. There is no doubt that it's a mystery. But the fact of the matter is, is he didn't pray to himself. He prayed to the Father. And that is a mystery. So I, I reject the idea that we don't see the Trinity. I mean, you know, I, I bucked against the word Trinity. Even in this show, I think season one, two, you'll hear me say I don't like the word Trinity. Um, and I bucked against the idea for a long time uh, with, you know, debates with my father as I was coming back to a stronger faith in, in the Messiah. I, uh, I re, you know, I kind of rejected this idea that the Holy Spirit had personal pronouns, all these kind of things. Guess what? I'm sorry. I have to, I have to claim to be a Trinitarian now. I, it's the way that the Bible talks about God. That's what I think. What do you think? You agree? Sounds good to me. <laughs> okay. Um, let's keep going then. I, By the way, I know that the chat room has had um, some, some lively interaction here. And I've had to basically look the other way so that I, I don't get uh, too... Uh, taken astray here, <laughs> uh, get off onto tangents. Um, but let's, uh, okay, so uh, uh, here's another question that we got, and I think that we already touched on this. Are we saying that uh, Yeshua is God because that's what our denomination demanded when we were warming the pew, or because it's actually in our Bibles with multiple witnesses? As far as I can find, Yeshua never claimed that he was God. I disagree with this thoroughly. And uh, so uh, we'll talk about John 8.58. That's one of my favorite passages. Uh, before Abraham was, I am, right? Um, I and the Father are one. No one comes through the Father but through me. Uh, and even, I mean, one of the things I've been talking a lot here, I apologize. I'll, I'll, I'll stop here in just a second. But one of the things that we, uh, that we see is that Yeshua is the one who can forgive sins. And what do the Pharisees say? Only God can forgive sins. They're right. Only God can forgive sins. But Yeshua does it. I think that even his name, Yeshua. There's, there's, it's hard. You almost, if you're going to read the Gospels and the Apostolic Writings and try to uphold a conclusion that Yeshua cannot be God incarnate, you're gonna have you're really you're really holding that conclusion against the grain of 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 the voice of the chorus of the scripture. I, I mean, I I really don't know how you could um could sustain that kind of uh, position, or nor nor why would you want to? What what is the what is like what's the gain? Like what's to be gained if I'm going to affirm the apostolic writings as as inspired scripture, like the word of God, on equal par with the Tanakh? Um, but at the same time, I'm going to insist that Yeshua is merely flesh and blood man. And then I question. Then I well. Did they push that? If Yeshua is not God in the flesh, is he 
was he not born of a virgin? So is the virgin birth a misunderstanding of Matthew? Um, the idea of, you know, God with us, of um, Emmanuel, right? Um, the sin issue, you know, forgiveness of sins, the healings, the resurrection. Um, if all this is is just stuff that we would expect out of uh, Judaism without without a divine incarnation, how come we don't see a whole history populated with Jews that taught similarly to Yeshua and right. died and rose from rose again? And we have a whole like in Hinduism, you have all the wall of avatars or whatever that have like you know. You know, how come we don't have that? Well, because it's because <laughs> it's not there. Um, you know, what what later Kabbalists came up with, and this is after the Middle Ages, you know, early modern era, they came up with reincarnation as um, a way to explain the righteous, the tzaddikim, right? Because they wanted, they're going to pursue every avenue of, of uh, doctrine and spirituality and almost leave no stone unturned, except it just can't. As we're going to do whatever, we'll t- trace any avenue, as long as it's not affirming that the apostolic writings are the word of the living God, right? And so they come up with reincarnation and uh, gematria and uh, different kinds of uh, things that are part of the devouted Orthodox Jewish Kabbalistic kind of worldview. Um, but even within there, even in with the strain of Hasidism called Chabad, they get to Schneerson and they're right. like ready to actually, they're, they're, they don't want to be like any Hasidism or Kabbalists that have come before them. But, but it's all been painted. All, the whole house has been painted. So they're right. down to this one place and they're like, well, the only stone we haven't turned is to say that he's, that he's God in the flesh and that he's going to resurrect from the dead. And they have to do it in a way that doesn't sound like the gospel, but they end up kind of painting the similar picture. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's totally similar. Uh, to the degree that you have the American Conference of, of Orthodox rabbis have as their statement to be a member, you have to sign a paper that says that you don't believe that, that Judaism has never taught that, that the Messiah would, would die and, and resurrect and be like incarnate. I, I'm totally paraphrasing, but but there is an actual statement. And what the these American Orthodox uh, rabbinic council is doing is they're distancing themselves from Chabad by making by conflating Chabad with Christianity. Right. And so this is real stuff in terms of social like communities and how people decide where their where their commitments of who they want to hang out with come right to the forefront. Right, because that's really where you're voting with your feet. If you're going to a Chabad, and I know Messianics, they go to a, they play around with the local Chabad. Oh, they go, you know, the rabbi needed, he needed a tenth guy, and I'm Jewish, (laughs) so so he called me and asked me to come to to make a minion for prayer. So I did. Like, and it's like really, really frustrating to me. Okay, let's move on. We got one last. Sorry. No, 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 you're good. We got one last question um, that came in. This now, this is by a gentleman named Asher. Asher, he is always a, a stimulating he's person. A bright, he's a, he, he Asher, is, you're a you're a bright cookie. We appreciate. We're grateful for you. Man, he is. Yeah, uh, he's 
he's intimidating to me because I think he he know he certainly seems to know his Greek a lot better than I do, um, and uh, it's a struggle for. <laughs> Languages are a struggle for me. Anyway, not the point. Okay, so Asher writes in, and this is just a, a well-put and intelligent uh, question that he writes. It's, it's rather long, but we'll read it anyway. Hey, Rob, I just listened to show 206, and I heard Caleb say that, Ego me, I am, statements of Yeshua come from Exodus 3, and that when God said, tell them that I am sent you, has sent you, the Septuagint says, tell them, Ego me, has sent them to you. However, the Septuagint at Exodus 3 does not see ego, or I think it should be say, uh, say ego me as a name. Rather, Exodus 3.14 says ego me uh, haon. And later on, the verse, that would be uh, I am th- uh, and uh, that I am, or I am, uh, I am that exists. And later and the on... One, the one who is, yeah. Yeah. And later on, the verse that Rob quotes actually says, tell them... Ha on has sent me to you, not ego me. I think that ego me has a name uh, as a name comes from Septuagint Isaiah, where the unique designation of Yod Hey Vav Hey Ani Hu is translated as ego me. Man, this is he's. I think he's right, um, but we'll get into this in a second. Uh, yeah. So was that the end of it? Uh, yeah. Well, this ba- the basically, if I just reiterate what what I'm hearing Asher's uh, email to say is, okay, if you start here and you tell people, well, in John, Yeshua says I am, right, uh, and you look in the Greek, it says ego and me, and then you tell people, oh, see, this is he's he's going back to the burning bush, he's going to Exodus three. What Asher is saying, okay, wait a minute, on a surface it could look that way, but if you actually go to the Greek of the Septuagint, it's ego emi haon, and haon is the present participle, meaning continuing being, and the one, the one who is, the one who, uh, the one who endures, or the one who continues to be. So I am the one who is, is the full statement. And so what Asher wants to point out is that's actually different. I am the one who is, is what we find in Exodus 3, Greek, but in John, you see just ego and me. So he then says, perhaps a better solution is looking at Isaiah's translation of the Hebrew anihu, which is all over through Isaiah, starting with in the 40s, I think, maybe before that. Uh, I am he and in, in Hebrew, and that's translated uh, ego ani, or ego me, I am. So Asher's point is, wouldn't it be more accurate and more precise to describe Yeshua's use of I am relating to the Isaiah, where it's an exact parallel, over against the uh, Exodus 3, where it's a, where ego in me is there, but it's but part it's, of a phrase. And the answer— so that, the That's answer, how I understand his, his that's basic— how, That's how I understand his argument as well. And, I, and to be honest with you, I think he makes it a fantastic point. And I agree with him. It would probably be better, and, and that might actually be where Yeshua is pulling from. The reason that I have always associated it with Exodus 3 is because Dr. Daniel Wallace, who is, uh, I would consider him the world's leading New Testament Greek manuscript scholar today. That could be debated, but 
I think I could put up a good debate for why I believe that. Um, he is the one who uh, that I heard associate Ego Me with Exodus 3. I've pulled a clip from my interview with him that I did back, I believe it was 2014. Oh, um, and this is what he says. Uh, in John 8.58, uh, Jesus says, Before Abraham was, I am. And ultimately, he is quoting from Exodus 3.14. Where God says to Moses, when Moses says, Who shall I say is sending me to the children of Israel? He says, Tell them I am who I am. And, uh, and, and, I, and I won't quote the, the, the Greek or the Hebrew, but it's, the, the Greek is a, a pretty good translation of the Hebrew. And that same form is what Jesus quotes. Technically speaking, in Greek grammar, it's bad form to say, Before Abraham was, I am. It's uh, the, the, the right way to say this is before Abraham was, I was. Not I have been, which would be a different form. That would be the, the perfect, but this is the imperfect would be right. So in one sense, Jesus is using bad grammar, but good theology. Mm. He is saying before Abraham was, okay, now he's located in time. It's before this period, before Abraham existed. I am, and it's an echo of Exodus 3.14. 33 times in John's gospel, you have this I am, ego I me is what it is in, in, in Greek, and every single time except once, it's on the lips of Jesus and only Jesus. Even John the Baptist won't say it. He puts a, a, a negative in the middle when people say, are, are you the prophet? I am not. And it's in Greek, it's I not am. And others do the same thing. The only guy who uses I am besides Jesus is the blind man in John chapter 9. And they, the, the Pharisees ask him after Jesus healed him, are you the guy who was born blind? And he says, ego I me, I am. Why would he say it? Because he's not a theologian. He doesn't know these issues. He was born blind. He doesn't have access to all the other uh, information. And so he would be one who would be ignorant of that. And I think that even shows that John is very careful even to preserve the very words of these speakers at times in his gospel. So uh, well said, yeah. well, very well said. Yeah. So I, I agree with I agree with Asher that uh, this that what Yeshua may be referencing is actually a messianic expectation seen within Isaiah. Okay. Um, however, I think that uh, I think that Wallace. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with Wallace. <laughs> you know, I mean, I I think that Wallace makes great points, and uh, and I think that uh, what he's saying is is also a good point. Um, now, Rob, you had given me two verses that you thought were uh, pertinent to what Asher was saying, uh, and that was Isaiah fifty-one oh, well, twelve and Revelation one eight. Do you want to? Well, touch on those? in Isaiah, Isaiah fifty-one twelve is one example, but there's examples throughout the Isaiah, which I think is good that Asher brings, where he, where the Greek says uh, "ego me," but has a descriptor after it. I am the first, right? Right. I am the last. Um, I am the, the, your comforter. I am your, uh, your God, right? So not all the times in, in the Greek Isaiah is it just I am, but it's, there's also, just like we says I, uh, in the Greek of Exodus 3, I am the one who is. So I'm, I, I, what I really appreciate about Dr. Wallace's description there, he says, ultimately, Ultimately, it's derived from, it comes from Exodus 3. Right. I think what, and what that gives me kind of the breathing room, and maybe it, I hope that provides some breathing room for Asher's, to think about it, uh, Asher's perspective, is that 
while it while Yeshua doesn't continue on to say Ha'on, the history of the use of Ego Ami throughout the Tanakh is it becomes shorthand for all these characteristics all of, of who God. Yeah, right. It becomes the the reduced you know ultimate shorthand. And so I'm, uh, that's kind of where I land with that. And the other verse then is, is in Revelation 1, and where, you sh- where um, he says, ego and me, but he doesn't just stop there. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says Kurias Atheas, says the Lord God. Um, and then he says, Ha'on, not only Ha'on, so this is Revelation 1.8. Ha'on, so in other words, he says, ego and me, and then he says, Alpha and Omega, and then he continues and gives three, uh, a list of three things. The one who is Ha'on, which is, that's blatantly Exodus 3. Kai Ha'en, and the one who was. So here we have an imperfect verb with an article on it. The one who is, the one who was, Kai Ha'erchamenos, and the one who is coming. So we have three who was, or what literally, I, I'm thinking of the song, who was, who is, who is to come, but literally it's who is, who was, and who who is coming. So we have the three, and then we have the uh, ha pantocrator, the almighty. So Revelation 1.8 is, is a major place where we see the ego me kick us off for the beginning of the verse, and, and then it goes on to give a list of descriptors that I believe is talking about the tetragrammaton. Right when it's it's talking about Yod Hey Vav Hey. Right when and even even the later rabbis in the Talmud and in later Jewish mysticism, when they try to talk about what the tetragrammaton means in it as a verb, Yod Hey Vav Hey from the verb to be, they are saying that he was, he is, and he is to come. They unpack it in the same way. But the Book of Revelation is the first that we have in all of Jewish literature. In all Jewish history, the first place we have a text that is totally clearly talking about the Tetragrammaton, clearly talking about Exodus 3, the revelation of God's name with the ego and me, ha'on, but unpacking it also to say not only who is, who was, and who is to come. And so subsequent Jewish tradition, mystical tradition or, uh, you know, rabbinic um, drashing on the meaning of the tetragrammaton that talks, says he was, he is, he is to come. They're actually, they've lifted that from Yeshua discipleship circles. That's right. where that teaching came. It's histor- That's where it is. We don't have any, uh, to my knowledge, if you can prove me wrong, I'd love to, I'd love to be proven wrong on this. Not that, well, I, not that I'd love it, but it's just like, I'm happy to be proven wrong. There's no prior Jewish literature in the world that unpacks the Tetragrammaton this way that we find in Revelation 1.8. Excellent. Okay, well, that's all I got for questions today. It looks like the chat room has just had a, uh, a field day in there. A good. Oh, convers- I found that. Oh, the verse, real quick. The enemy sowing the seed, it, it's probably in the others, but it's Matthew 13, uh, 20, starting with verse 24. That's just... I. I I found that while we were talking and I wanted to, that's where he says the enemy has done this, the hostile one. Right. So Yeshua is preparing his disciples to realize there are hostile actors out there that are going to try to come in and they're going to sow uh, discord. They're going to try to create noise. 
Kind of like the Russians did with the election. <laughs> we don't do politics here. Okay. Um, so uh, I hope that this has been uh, enlightening for some people. Uh, we certainly do appreciate everyone who sends in their uh, their questions and, and their stuff. comments and stuff like that. We get a lot of them. And uh, if we don't respond right away, it's, it's uh, because we're, well, we're doing... We're busy. <laughs> yeah, we're trying to respond to a lot of them. Um, so yeah, we, we. I don't think there's any any emails that we don't read. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. um, so I would encourage you to uh, to um, send us emails, and you can do that by uh, sending them to chegg c h e g g at torresource dot com. At c h e g g at torresource dot com. You can also give us a call. It's two five three. 465-3205. I'll give it one more time. 253-465-3205. Uh, we sure do have fun doing this show, and uh, we hope that you have fun listening to it as well. Our goal here is to lift up and glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. And the reason we do that, well, because Messiah matters. <laughs> <laughs>